everybody. Welcome to The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. I'm your host, as always, Johnny Torres, and we are coming to you live from Davidoff of Geneva in Tampa, Florida. Thank you so much to Tommy, the manager here, for letting us do the show uh, here in the VIP room uh, before we announce our cast of characters for today. Let's run down today's topics. We, of course, are going to talk about the COVID spike, both here in Florida and across the country, uh, the various reactions and what that means, obviously, for society in general going forward. The Trump rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What did happen? What didn't happen? Uh, There's plenty to dissect there. We'll talk about that. China versus the world. We're going to go into uh, Nebel's attic a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about international politics and what China's doing while everybody's distracted by protests and viruses. Uh, the Supreme Court ruling on DACA uh, and uh, how that has uh, worked out for them and, uh, of course, uh, the uh, immigration issue at large. And Bayshore Graffiti, Tampa Bay, of course, has the longest sidewalk in the country, and unfortunately, in the midst of all these protests, uh, they were vandalized uh, over the weekend, so we'll talk a little bit about that. All right, now to our cast of characters, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back, right over here next to me, is uh, Mr. Chris Chambers, (laughs) trying to be a responsible member of society in his uh, very awesome uh, COVID mask here. So Chris Chambers joins us today. Uh, I wish you would just wear the thing for the whole day. I just, I just love it so much. I don't want to get a fine, so I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, careful. Caster might show up. And, uh, uh, I think she's busy right now. I look a little busy right now. All right, good. Especially she's in the gazpacho. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sitting next to Chris Chambers is our other Chris. Other Chris. Kylan, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. So right here I have, uh, from the beautiful bar down in Davidoff, I have uh, some Stag Junior. This is a four-year bourbon. It's barrel-proof, so it has that full flavor to it, so it doesn't get diluted by your ice as much. I encourage you to check it out sometime. Chris, do you want to tell us what uh, your beverage of choice is? I think you can take out the mask for exception when it comes to drinking. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) My beverage of choice today is uh, Buffalo Trace, one of of my favorite bourbons, one of my go-tos. And I'm not drinking that, I'll be sipping on some Blanchons, which is also made by Buffalo Trace as well. There we go. Very nice. Uh, and then that fine gentleman at the end is Anibal Cabrera. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. Great to be back in some form of a studio and just with everyone. So always nice to see him. Beverage of choice? Beverage of choice is normally a godfather, half to Serono, half Maker's Mark. But today I'm going with Chris's um, recommendation. What was the whiskey again on this one? This is Buffalo Trace with ginger. Yes. So that's what I'm drinking. It's pretty good. All right, and the mystery drink of the day at the far end. <laughs> that lovely young lady is Parker. How you doing, Parker? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Welcome back. I know it's been a while. Yeah, I we appreciate you. I know. We should just bring you in every time you change your hair. We'll just bring you back. <laughs> you missed one. <laughs> I did. I did. You missed the red, the orange. That's right. Uh, all right, guys. So we're going to go ahead and start on today's topic. Uh, of course, that being the COVID spike. Uh, you know, of course, it's what we feared and. Um, and uh, we're seeing a lot of cases uh, that have actually outpaced the number of tests that have been going on throughout the state Uh, and and now of course the local cities are uh, each kind of making their own measures as to how to deal with this spike Uh, of course it's kind of your typical your metropolitan areas and that sort of thing Um, guys what do you think really was the the true cause for this spike I know the unpopular sentiment you know being you know some of the protests that have been going on, you know, a lot of people not wearing masks in those situations. Um, uh, a lot of the bars, the nightclubs, what do you guys think? Well, now the target audience for who's getting the COVID now 
that doesn't make sense, but yes. Uh, it's 18 through 35, which is my age group, and I think that does have to do with my age group is more likely to go out and socialize because we were told we're not a problem, we're not going to have issues, we're young, we can overcome it, and now we're saying that. I'm seeing people on my Facebook who are about my age that are getting in and it's kicking their ass, and there's been people actually from the start that have been on the younger age, and it's just, they've been the healthiest athletic people and it's just kicking their ass. Um, so I think it does have to do with, hey, let's just take precautions and like make healthy choices and just do that in our everyday lives. But I don't know. But would you say it was, you know, basically going back to the bars? The Probably going back the, to bars. Because the people that I'm seeing are like the ones that are like work in the nighttime industries or they work in restaurants. Um, one thing, I had one point, I can't remember right now, but someone take over right I think something that we've also seen is that the measurements that the governor that the governor put in place when it came to those that were uh, most vulnerable in that population, those over 65, those in retirement and long-term care facilities, needed the most protection because their percentage of fatality was so high, yeah. it was it was too high, and it needed to get and the governor had to step in and get in, get involved in that, and so now you're seeing that these these communities have done exactly what needed to get done. There's massive testing for people that are working in long-term care facilities, and those populations are not being infected to the rate they are. So now that things are open, that bars are open, that people are protesting on both sides, pro-government, anti-government protesting that are occurring, a lot of these people are not, on both sides, are not wearing face masks. So I want to say, and now seeing how young the demographic is of those that are getting the virus. I'm gonna say it's a combination of both of the reopening of the state of Florida when it comes to their uh, leisure industry and also the protesting on both sides. I will say we're probably also seeing an increase because by the end of May, they were allowing um, procedures that were not emergencies to start happening again. And to do those, you had to go in and get COVID testing two days before. And I know this because I had a procedure that I had to deal with. So I had to wake up I had a 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. Um, slot time to go in my car, go to USF, Ms. Morsani, and get the stick up my nose to my brain. It's uncomfortable, um, but i rather know going to a hospital that, one, I'm not gonna affect someone else, and yeah. two, someone else isn't gonna affect me. And that's the most accurate test, yes. is the scratching of the brain. And also, but I'm also curious about some of like the ratings, because I also went to the Advent Health one at Adventure Island, which was a spit test, and we got a letter saying that um, the testings were all contaminated, so hundreds of these tests were not usable and couldn't tell, say in results. So I'm wondering if any of those tests were counted in the numbers. Hmm. Well, and that's, uh, of course, been one of the issues in all of this has been uh, not only the accuracy of the tests, but the, the fact also that some of these tests have, have been tainted. Um, and, and so, the, again, we go back to, you know, whether or not the numbers we're seeing are reliable. Uh, you know, we know that at least in other parts of the country, maybe even here in Florida, there were hospitals that were inflating numbers. Um, the interesting dynamic, of course, is that I think, as Anibal mentioned, you know, not only do we have younger people being infected, but the number of deaths actually continues to drop or has stayed level in the single digits on a daily basis. I mean, we had, uh, I think for two, three days, hit almost 4,000 new cases. Uh, Chambers, you know, uh, I've seen you a little bit out and about, you know, the beaches and that sort of thing. I mean, are you any more concerned now than you were before? Is this just a continuation for, for this whole scenario? I, I think now, 
numbers spiking, I do have a little bit higher concern than I did the first time. But, but when I go out with my family, we, we practice the, the social distancing. We actually wear masks just for that, that expert, extra precaution. But I think now that you have more testing that's available, uh, with the protests, a lot of people gathering, business starting to open up, you can expect those numbers to rise. So you still have to be smart, exercise uh, common sense, social distancing, you know, realize that coronavirus is still out there. Right. And I think a lot of people have gotten a little complacent Everything is opening back up, and uh, now you're starting to see that, that uptick in the numbers, which is, uh, which is expected. Yeah, of course. Uh, so kind of to compound on what you said, as far as like expecting the numbers to go up, we're, we have a level of tolerance we're supposed to you know, have for this thing. We're supposed to have our goal to be, uh, you know, our hospitals not being overrun, you know, our hospital beds you know, not being filled 100%. So I think as long as we're not reaching that capacity, we need to, once we hit or get close to that, we need to start readjusting our lifestyles. I think that would be a safe assessment for anyone on any side of the aisle. Um, but as of right now, I think we're seeing the, the cases go up because A, people are begging for economic normalcy to happen again. We're all looking to have our lives back to normal to a certain degree. I mean, for me, personally, I'm not going out and doing things because it isn't the experience I want to have. Like, I don't want to go to somewhere like this that, you know, would require me to have a mask or where I'm required to be so far away from certain people. Like, I don't want to go out and be alone, you know? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so well, and it's just not practical, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, to to not transition too early into our next topic, but when you looked at the Trump rally in Tulsa, yeah, um, I think the crowd size gets to a point where no matter how how, how much you may try, you're not going to be able to be six feet away from somebody yeah. else. Uh, I mean, if there just are that large a number of people, um, and and again, given uh, that kind of a scenario where you're putting everybody into the same building, I mean, you know, I saw some people wearing masks, some people weren't wearing masks, uh, but at the same time, the social distancing and all that, I mean, I might as well toss that out the window because everybody's yeah. in such a confined space that you're not going to truly control. And there are people that say that even six feet is, is too close. Yeah, so I will say something about the Trump rally and having you go close together, I mean, to me, the election is a very important thing. Like, I'm willing to risk more personally for things that are more important to me. I think that our, our polity, our, our, the way we do politics, has to continue. Like, we all are members of Republican groups. Um, we normally, at this point in time, would have been campaigning, we'd be knocking on doors, we'd be doing voter registrations, but we haven't been able to do that. And so far, this is gonna hurt our campaigns and hurt our, our turnout in November. So, I feel like, this has to resume at some point if we're going to have a normalized election or have a chance of winning an election, you know? So but Also, and I, sorry for cutting you off, but also no. this allows us to figure out what the mortality rate is, what what are the new resources, researches when it comes to getting um, preventive care, treatments, getting people off ventilators. At TGH, they have five people on ventilators. It hasn't spiked, it hasn't doubled, and the hospitalizations, listening yep. to the EPG today, there was... There was concern in the medical professionals' uh, voices in regards to an increase because they don't want to see a spike of what happened in the past. But I don't see that happening again because now you see that those that were in the most vulnerable categories have changed their day-to-day -day activities. Yes, where absolutely. they protect themselves, where they don't go outside, where they're getting meals delivered. I would say the next thing that the government should be doing is telling people of our age, because we're, we're a lot of us are all of us are young republic, young conservatives, young Republicans, is that if you're exposing yourself to the elements, if you're going out and, and partying, going to bars, 
then you shouldn't go visit grandma. Like Absolutely. you, you shouldn't, yeah. and that's what. Yeah. And so, like in my household, we curtailed our visitation to my parents before we had a test. And then once we had the test and we were negative, we went to go visit my parents. And now that we're going out a little bit more often, we might get a test next week or sometime because Hillsborough, in Hillsborough County, it's still free. There are multiple test sites available. But I think this now requires people to curtail their day-to-day -day activity. Do I think there should be a mandate when it comes to a face mask? I don't think the government should be mandating anything in regards to items of clothing for individuals. But as a responsible individual, I have my face mask on me at all times. So if I do go into a situation where I don't feel comfortable, I put the face mask on. And I, that makes me comfortable, that makes other people comfortable. But that's not, I don't think anyone's arguing that point here. I think the point is that the government shouldn't be mandating anyone to wear anything. Because so, it takes, yeah, it takes personal, you know, assessment, assessment, of, yeah. assessment of each situation individually out of the question. So actually, my question to Enable's point, um, which was a great lead-in, is, is uh, Mayor Castor, of course, is now mandating uh, masks in the city of Tampa. Um, do you feel differently about the mandate? I mean, Enable already gave his opinion on it. Uh, now, because we've seen the spike in cases versus just a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, when we were still on a downtrend in number of cases statewide. Chambers? I'm on the fence about the mandating a mask because uh, wearing those things for an extended period of time is hot, very uncomfortable. And one thing I think, I think the city and the county should be in step about the, the mandates and, and, and the restrictions. Because now you're, you're causing a lot of confusion in the world by going this side of the city, I'm in the county, <laughs> I can take my mask off. You know, if I go back in the city, you know, I just put the mask back on. I think it needs to be uh, better coordination between the county and the city on that. Right. Uh, I, I definitely get what you're saying with the, the, the overstep of you know mandating the mask. Uh, and I understand everybody's trying to do it for preventative measures for the greater good. I'm still on the fence about that. I, I, I just I would like to see a little, little better coordination between the, the city and the county on that. So then I have a question. Do you think legally that it can withstand a lawsuit? If someone, I know that they've already done this in Orange County and some others. Um, what was the name of the, the state senator that's doing it now? Sabatini. Sabatini. Yeah. And so he's starting to push for like a lawsuit to be brought up for counties that are mandating individuals wear wear masks. I I think again, I think we're all in agreement that we should be wearing masks when we can't follow CDC guidance. But do you think that the county should be penalizing people or? Any fines for people that are not wearing civil masks. citation. No. Civil, yeah, no. civil citation. No. And, and if a lawsuit, a lawsuit, yeah, five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars. I heard five hundred. No, that's, that's I what I heard. Five hundred dollars. That is almost a mortgage payment. Jeez. We need to confirm that, though. Yeah. No, I, I heard it's five hundred dollars, which I think is very steep. Yeah. And it's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and again, who's affected that's, by that? You yeah. know, it's the people in, in low-income and minority communities who, and I get it. That, you know they're giving out masks you know for anybody who can't afford to buy one there are places where you can go out and buy one uh, but at the same token uh, the, you know the truth is is that the people who are not wearing them you know are, are, are the folks who can least afford to either have them have to go to work have to be out in the community you know and then there's are unfortunately going to be the ones that I think are going to be targeted in this kind of a situation no the, I think you're absolutely right I, I, I think the, the low-income community will be affected the most because uh, they're more exposed out having to work. So we really have to look at the, these policies when they're implemented and see who do they affect, especially on the, the ground floor, the ground level. 
right. it's going to be more of your, your low income people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not loaded, but you hit me with a $500 fine. It's going to hurt. Yeah. I mean, oh, we're going to have words. <laughs> I mean, maybe I have to cut off Davin off, you know, one night of the week, but, <laughs> but uh, most people, that, that's going to get into their pockets. So you really have to examine that and make sure uh, if we're doing the right prudent activities. But also, how enforceable is it? Because even our share, Chuck Conister, said it's not going to be that enforceable. And then I was, this was implemented on Friday at 5. I was at the mall on Saturday to get my hair done. I had my mask on. I was doing my part. But hardly anyone was wearing masks. And that's in within an enclosed enclosure, which is what the mandate says. If, if, if you're indoors and you cannot follow CDC six-feet guidelines, then you are going to be receiving a civil citation. So, wow. so are we in violation right now? What? Are yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Don't give me fun. I'm violating. Do you have a mask? Does everyone have a mask? I do. So I have to wear one uh, in the Uber <laughs> on the way over here, so I do have one, but I refuse to don it. What about uh, we got to drink and smoke? I mean, it, technically yeah, we are drinking. They sense. have holes in those things. You can you can cut a hole in there if you like. I don't want to give anybody else any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, as uh, we kind of uh, teased just a little bit ago, um, over the weekend, we had the uh, first Trump rally after this coronavirus thing kind of swept the country. And uh, even though it's still happening, as we were just discussing, uh, the president decided to have a, a campaign rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, the big controversy, of course, being that the campaign had touted them having almost a million people subscribe to tickets. Um, I think the fire department uh, claimed that there were only about 6,200 people in the arena. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll, before I jump in here and kind of give my two cents, I'll let you guys tackle this. Let's first talk about, um, do you feel that it was even appropriate for him to have a rally, given you know everything that's happening right now? Well, number one, first of all, I'm happy that he, he shifted the date from uh, June 19th. Right. Uh, Juneteenth is a, a day uh, that's very celebrated in the African-American community. Uh, one thing I didn't agree with the president on was uh, saying that he made that day famous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I'm from Mississippi, I can tell you. That's yeah, not the best look. I'll, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll call it for that one. So, uh, I, I, and then I think ha ha having the, the rally... Uh, what type of message are, are you sending? And I know elections coming up, got to get on the trail, got to get your supporters, but maybe pushing that back could have been a smart thing to do because having that rally or not, the Trump supporters are still going to be there. Yeah, right. Trust me, they're, they're diehard. They're going to be there. So what type of message are you, are you sending? And then he said that the coronavirus is, is, is kind of, he said we got we got a handle on it, got a control of it, but the numbers are going up. So. It's sending some conflicted messages there. I, I think maybe he probably could have held off a, a little bit on having this rally. Yeah, Chris. So personally, so I think the threat of socialism, the threat of leftist policies in America, is much more dangerous to America than COVID. So absolutely, I think the rally should have taken place. I think that we need to double our efforts, uh, social distancing and in person, to make sure this election goes the way we need it to go. So I think it was absolutely appropriate. Before we go into any of the specifics on what happened, I think that it, it needed to happen. Someone had to break the ice, and I bet you, because this happened, Democrats start theirs up soon. Well, you know, and that's actually kind of an interesting question, which not that we need to really dive too deep into, but if Biden were to hold a rally, could he even get 6,200 people to show up? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't he just hold one and they had it where people social distance, but he, there were empty chairs like in the front row. There were some circles. There was like a yeah. Olympic like five yeah. rings, but and they're all filled. But well, that well, tells well. you where we're at when it comes to the Democratic Republican Party. Do I think the rally should have happened? Actually, the better question is. Would I have attended the rally? And then you know what? Odds are I probably wouldn't have attended the rally just because, again, I have family members that are that are vulnerable, and I like to see them, and and that's so, that's a reason why I probably wouldn't have attended. But at the end at the end of the day, everyone has their own individual right to make that decision when it comes to their risk analysis. And you hit it right on the head. You know, I hear everybody complaining about attending a rally. Well, if you think it's dangerous, stay your ass at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't go. You, you know. have choice. You have choice. Yeah. That's the great thing about freedom is that you have choices. Yeah. When you get rid of choices, you don't have freedom. Yeah. Or maybe they were given. That's what we all argue for. Yeah. Maybe they were given civil citations if you didn't if go to the rally. Go to the rally. <laughs> I'm sorry. As a Republican, <laughs> but, yeah, was, was yeah. I was I forced to attend a rally? No, yeah. I'm not forced to attend a rally. I make the choice. Everyone has the right to make a choice, and I think that's what we're fa we're falling off on. And this is like on a both sides situation. Mm -hmm. If you attend a protest, if you don't attend a protest, then what does that mean? Well, that means I made a decision as a as a, as an individual it's not um, a competent well educated <laughs> person that you know what i'm gonna sit this one out yeah it's not that you don't agree or disagree of yeah. what's yeah. happening or that you're pro or against is that you're making an individual conscious decision okay but let's take that to the next step then okay now given the turnout now let's not you know we'll, we'll get into uh, the million <laughs> registrations you know for tickets uh next but given who actually turned out why do you think it was such a low number I don't think it's a low number. I mean, yes, was it packed? No. Compared to their expectations. No, compared to the expectations, there was, and I think Parker has more information about this when it comes to TikTok. I, I, I'm not a part of this generation. You can't. No, but, 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 even beside, but even beside the, yeah. the, the registrations, though, it's for, it was first come, first serve. Well, no. So what was happening, I'm sorry, real yeah. quick. What was happening on the ground is that um, counter protesters were walking through the lines, making that it was almost impossible to go through the metal detectors closing those down. I think almost yep. 3,000 people were turned away at the doors because they weren't allowed to move in there because certain streets were cut off because of protests. It was a madhouse yeah. outside the arena. Right. And so that caused a lot of people not to be able to go in. You see the pictures of the, well, a few thousand people on bikes in a park right next door. You see that the lines were holding up for the days yep. to get in. So it's not like there wasn't people there. It's just a lot of the protesting that caused the numbers to, to break down. However, at the end of the day, you still had 6,500 people in an arena for a presidential election that's coming, that's in the, we're in the middle of summer, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Having more than a thousand people is yeah. mind boggling. And two, you have the situation where there was just a massive influx of people trying to manipulate the numbers. Do yeah. I think the Trump, a Trump administration should have been downplaying the numbers? Of course. They should have said they had a million people come. Then you could always read that. And I'll roll that into Parker's point. So, Here's the thing, and I had to tell this to a lot of my left-wing friends who were messaging me like, hey, get a ticket so no one shows up and all the tickets are sold out. I'm like, that's not how these things work. And I <laughs> had to help run these things. And just like, you get a ticket just to see what the outcome's going to be. And the, no one should have said they had 800,000 people showing up. Even without the pandemic, it roughs around like 200,000 on average, probably at the most. Well, Tulsa only has a population of 400,000. Exactly. But, but there are no major cities around for people to watch these things. Right. So it draws a population much bigger than that the city. Yeah. Okay. Well, what was and the overall capacity of the 10,000? Okay. That was 20. 20. It's like 19,000. Yeah, 19, 19 and change. 19 and change. Uh, so when I 
have these people telling me, hey, go get a ticket so no one shows up and like they can't fulfill ticket requirements. I'm like, that's not how this works. It's just to see numbers and now you're going to be put on an email, email list. list. <laughs> that's what it is. If you sign up for a petition, any sort of change.com thing, you are being put on an email list or text messaging. That's what those things are. It's not doing anything. Petitions don't do much. Oh, the whole, I don't want to derail, but the yes. petition to remove the, the flag from I-4, the Confederate flag, yeah. and they're like, oh, if you sign this petition, they'll get it removed. No, it won't. That's private, private property. property. Yeah. And they're like, in the description, get Jane Caster to remove it. I'm like, it's not even in the city of Tampa. You've just added yourself onto an email Because list. Jane Caster's been allowing this the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> she was police of chief. Like, she yeah. oh. can, can you imagine a poor individual that registered for these tickets, thinking I'm going to you know, impede the, mm -hmm. the rally and not again bombarded with Trump emails. Oh yeah, yeah. it's beautiful, it's beautiful. The, the triggering. Like, it's just yeah. the main thing, it's just like, you need to do more research before you start signing up for these things. And that's why I don't sign petitions anymore. No. I don't do these things. And, that's, and I had to tell people, you are not taking away a ticket. You are just adding numbers to their data. Yeah. And that's the main thing that needs to be said. Just like the, the emails and the numbers don't really make any difference. These are all just people who want to sign up Overall, what's going to matter is November and the election. And what you saw is that, yes, the individuals that showed up were pretty low. And again, there are many factors of why that yeah. happened. Oh, yeah. But the viewership online, some reports are saying almost up to a half a million people were oh, watching. Yeah, so the numbers are fluctuating higher than any capacity whatsoever. Right. And that's where the play needs to be, that you're going to keep on having those in-person rallies, but then you're also going to have the online presence of people that chose to make a decision as a rational individual and chose to do that risk analysis and not show up. But they're still watching, they're still voting, they're still, they're still giving money. They're doing all the things that need to happen to keep on moving this train. And now it's us as young Republicans to be able to push that when it comes to voter registration, when it comes to our online presence, when it comes to keep on pushing on. And I recommend everyone join their local organizations, either if it's a Dark Republicans or if it's a HREC's, to just keep on pushing the, the, the information out there so we can keep on getting voters and win in November. Yep. Well, you know, Parker made a great point, which is really, you know, when they do these kind of events, it's a huge data grab. You know, this is really uh, just a way for them to collect information on potential voters. And they know that if somebody's willing to sign up for tickets and certainly show up for an event like this, that they are a motivated, energized voter. Yeah. So the joke really is on them after all this because they're going to get fundraising emails. They're going to get fund uh, phone calls. They're going to get online advertisements. I mean, they're just going to be bombarded. How many get converted because of this? They're just like, oh, they see the emails and they're like, oh, I really didn't know that Joe Biden was... You know, <laughs> somehow maybe become a Trump voter at some point. Our party's pretty good about not spamming emails. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get an email once a day from Florida Dems because I'm in their demographic that they want to reach. Yeah. And I do the one that has my voter registration email because I'm like, I get it, and I wanted to see what they say. But when I got my private email was added onto their list, I'm like, I messaged them, like, take me off. I never consented to this. You need to get actual consent from me saying Florida Dems, you can send me emails. Well, and that's kind of the, the, the dirty secret, you know, in, in politics behind the scenes, you know, someone who's done digital for campaigns is, is that, you know, there are email lists that you can buy from other campaigns, you can buy them from political action committees. And so once you end up on one of these lists, it's almost near impossible to get off of them uh, because they basically just hand your email around and they literally resell your email. Yeah. You know, even when you're going to uh, websites, well, when you're going
going to like websites like Breitbart and Daily Wire and you know these kind of conservative sites, you know, part of their revenue comes from selling their email lists to campaigns for them to do advertising. And so, like I said, I mean, uh, you know, while the Gen Zers, I guess, or whoever wants to take credit for for having, you know, uh, reserved a million tickets, uh, you know, the last laugh's going to come back on them because again, now they've added themselves to this database that they're never going to get out of. It's a million emails. Like yeah. that's what you've yeah. done. Now you, now we can start the precise marketing for those individuals. Now that we know it's younger, younger demographics, you know, the team is going to start pumping things that make sense to them. Yeah. And that's going to be the beauty of it. Oh, and it's, it's a good thing because now we're getting better data. Yeah. And that's the best thing about data because some lists are just incomplete and you're not walking to every single house. And I have to tell one back and forth organizer. Uh, is that you're not going to go to every single house, you're going to go to the targeted houses. But the more data you get, the better accuracy. Because the only way to figure out who's going to win is by pulling and that's going door to door. That's the most accurate way of doing it. Getting a handshake, having someone say, I'm going to vote for you, sign waving, it does not work. And that's why rallies, fundraisers, those are so important for the data. If you've ever worked, and a lot of us have worked on campaigns, if you worked on a campaign, you know that is just the, like, that's just the, the echelon of what you want to get. You don't you want to get that data of people that are walking in the door. You don't care because then they're going to spread out. They're, they're the most enthusiastic. They're the most likely to vote. And you want those people to vote as much as uh, as much as possible. <laughs> you want those people to go We're out. not Democrats. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. How, how many times can you vote? What? <laughs> a cycle. Well, yeah, a cycle. And so that's so important. So I, he needed to have a rally. We needed to get this started in having personal, having in-person rallies and everything else. And again, if you're a Democrat and you're in the Joe Biden campaign and you're realizing that he's probably going to pull in 100, maybe 200 people at the most when it comes to his rallies, like there's no one going out there to see a, a, a Biden rally. None of that's going to happen. But the energy in evil. But what energy? Yeah, the energy being no, that's, sucked out of the room. No, look, there was an Axios poll that came out actually yesterday. And and I think only 45% of Democrats are actually excited about Biden as a candidate. Um, so you, 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 you turn that into... You know, now out of that 45%, how many of them are actually going to go take the time to vote? And November's looking really, really rough for them. And then how many were just upset because Joe Biden just basically given the nomination. Oh. There wasn't, I, sure. I, I'm so mad for my Democratic friends mm -hmm. because everyone that they were supporting, they were dropping because Biden was a fit place somehow. Uh, and so I'd be mad if, like, my candidate who was doing his fair and square because the Democrat Party. And they had viable candidates. Yeah, you know, they had a huge candidates. slate of viable candidates. A lot of candidates that we've all talked about that we would love to see do more, get, yeah. we would want to ask more questions about. It would be a better race. It would be a better, better race. race. But just the simple fact that what North Carolina was the state that basically decided Joe Biden as the as the front runner for them is is mind boggling. I can't. I don't wait. think it's even that. I think I it think goes it far. I think, I think it, it goes think far it. deeper as to even going back and looking why Hillary got the nomination. I think it was like it's Biden's turn. Everybody mm -hmm. else, get out of the way. Thank you very much for participating. Yeah, that's and, funny, but dude. it's also sad because I've seen Biden talk back in like 2018. He came to my school for the It's on Us campaign, which is for sexual assault and. Sexual assault prevention, and he said this. He gave this amazing speech, and I was there afterwards because I was in the VIP, so, so I couldn't leave till after he left. And he gave this amazing off the cuff speech that was just so moving. And to see him now talk is so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. If he did this in 2016, 
I think he would have been a better nom nominee and it would have been a better race. But he didn't. Hillary got it. But now it's just it's just way too sad. He didn't even run in 16, right? No. no. It, it no. was done. Yeah. yeah. It was, really, it was yeah. Hillary's. Yeah. But that would have been his ideal moment. I think, yeah, yeah I, I agree. With, I think 16 would have been the best year. Now you're watching a man... In decline. in decline. In decline. And it's it's getting sad to see Even all one of his campaign ads, they have him like, can, can you spare a minute for... Oh my God. And the, the text in the bottom doesn't match what he's saying. The text in the bottom makes sense, but what he's saying does not make sense. It's a YouTube. How, I've how, seen it on how YouTube. bad is it that you have someone taking cuts of you for 30 or 40 minutes and you can't get one damn good clip of you talking? I thought it was a Trump advertising making fun of joe biden when i first wow. saw yeah. no, and I'll, so I'll look for it again but it you he's not talking correctly and it's their number one ad on face on youtube and it's just i for every time i watch it i'm like oh wow the trump campaign is doing a great job so before we get out of this topic guy. i wanted to kind of uh cover a couple things about the people registering to, to be at this rally just because so a lot of leftists are like oh we dunked on trump we got him to believe he had all these supporters like we had no reason to believe we didn't. There's, there's, at what point in history has this ever happened before where we have a bunch of 16-year-olds registering to go to our rallies for, for no reason to take tickets from us? And at this point, we need to like, kind of like step back and look at this. Do we as Republicans want to bow down to the level and make this unhealthy kind of set of behaviors going forward? Or do we want to maintain our polity, you know, and have a, a, a good, healthy polity and not do childish things like this to hurt campaigns? I mean, and in all honesty, it did. I mean, think about it. If you're going to this campaign in Tulsa, I've been to two rallies so far, and I didn't get into either one. And if you saw the news, a million tickets have, a million tickets have been given out. Uh, would you go to that rally thinking there, I have a one in a million chance of getting in? I wouldn't. It decreases right. your chances. And it's not... It's not ethical behavior at all. I think it needs to be addressed. And if the campaign would do something like maybe charge 10 bucks a ticket or have a donation for the campaign to get in, it would curtail this kind of stuff, but something's gotta happen. Yeah, I mean, even it's if it's not okay. Even yeah. if they charge, you're still gonna have $10 a ticket, they're still gonna do that. So how do you enforce that? Oh, how now you've you donated to the campaign. Yes, oh. that, that would be perfect. 16 year olds are not gonna donate to the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, they're thinking they're stopping the movement. And, yeah, and yeah. now they've just funded the movement even yeah. further. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect. I kind of deconstructed really I actually deconstructed this um, in a couple ways. One is, of course, I think part of the reason for the turnout the way it was, was not only the difficulties, you know, at, uh, yeah. at the site, but also the coronavirus. I'm mm -hmm. sure that scared away a lot of people because Oklahoma, like Florida, is spiking. Um, the other thing is, too, they knew that there would be a counter-protest. And so just the fear of violence potentially breaking out is also going to be a deterrent for a lot of people. Unfortunately, there was none of that. Um, and then the third part about it, all of this, and this is the biggest hypocrisy of, of all of it, because uh, these media outlets were basically cheering on these kids for what they did, is that if you had uh, a, a million um, conservative kids go out there and let's say use a Russian app, you know, to secure, yeah. <laughs> to, to basically, you know, hijack uh, a democratic event. I mean, there, there would be all kinds of rage happening right now. And isn't it, wasn't it a, a Japanese TikTok TikTok's a, a Chinese app. I mean, was it, hold on, wait, is right. it Japanese or China? I think it was Japanese. Well, right. the K-pop angle to the to the thing. Well, K-pop is Korean, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of communists involved. But they're using. <laughs> some, I don't want to say it was Chinese and then it'd be Japanese, just Asian. Asian. Well, TikTok is, but tiny, but but TikTok is a Chinese-based yeah. app. Oh no, definitely China. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so now you're talking about the TikTok having all of this information on all these kids that yes. that registered for these fake tickets. And so again, if you had conservative kids. 
you know, doing the same thing on, let's say, a Russian app, I mean, again, the outrage would be absurd. I mean, these, yeah. you know, these networks would be losing their minds. This is proof of collusion. Well, no, yeah. let's, let's right. say this. Let's see when the first, like, Jill Biden rally happens. Let's see what happens with them and when it comes to registration and who gets to online or not. But I will say this. I think, again, it just shows... One, I really think now this shows that we shouldn't do online voting because of how quickly it can get manipulated. Yeah. Like, how are you going to triple check someone's validity of being a, a 20 or 18-year-old when it's easily, you're just clicking the box saying, oh, no, I am 18. Well, like, that's that's insane. Yeah, the technology's not ready. Anyways, yes. I just like, should we have a receipt when we vote? Should we have should a receipt? Should we have a paper receipt to follow up? I get a sticker. That's the thing <laughs> For yeah. when we have these recounts, um, oh. because it gets so tricky, and I've seen it before, because I went to the 2018 Broward County and Palm Beach oh counties, which were, oh Broward wasn't bad. We were in there two hours both days, because what's her name was like, I'm not following the sword, this is getting done. They even said, hey, you guys are going much quicker than we intended, so you guys are getting out early. So. But that's just another. Uh, yeah, voter registration so, and voter integrity is going to be a really interesting conversation as we get closer to November because evidently Fauci is now is the tell all for if we're going to have in person voting in November. Who elected this guy? Yeah, should we just like put him in like the dictator spot or something? Oh my gosh. Well, he, he li he's lying to people about when they should or should not be buying face masks so that we, so oh, you don't need to have a face mask if you're not in the medical or you're not teaching. You're not taking care of someone that's sick, and then come to find out he lied about it, and just because he didn't want people to be buying face masks, so then it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't run out for healthcare initiatives, and that's fine. But don't lie. You are. Yeah. We trust you to tell us the truth when it comes to the medical information, because you have a DR in front of your name. But if you're going to be lying to us, and you shouldn't be telling us who can and cannot vote in person in November, <laughs> shut up. He's not the expert. For He's an expert in his field, which is infectious disease. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Well, and, and again, oh at this point, I think the only resolution to this coronavirus situation, both here in Florida and nationally, is herd immunity. And I think that's part of why you're seeing New York now back on the decline. And I believe back they're back under single-digit percentages, you know, in terms of new cases. Um, so, uh, you know, well, we'll see how much of an impact this mask thing has. The governor has already said that, you know, he's not going to mandate masks, that it should be up to the individual whether or not to wear it. Um, and then we've had state representatives who are out there, you know, with lawsuits and stuff, uh, you know, suing people for mandating masks. And so we'll see how that turns out. Jonathan, did you guys hear about the, the back and forth that the governor's from New York and... Yeah, I heard oh, about yeah. that. The Santos and Como? Yeah. 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 Oh, Chamber, do you want to say what, what was said? I don't know verbatim, you know it way more than me, but I heard it was some going back and forth, but I'm pretty sure DeSantis had an upper hand, being that we have uh, more residents in Florida than New York, and our cases are much lower, so I can only imagine uh, his comeback. <laughs> so Cuomo made a comment that he was going to, every Floridian that went to New, that came to New York going forward was going to have to be in a 14-day quarantine, right. and then DeSantis shot back and said, well, as long as you don't stick them into retirement homes like you did before, oh, we should be fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa, blow. Savage level 300. Oh, I love it. I love it. DeSantis one, almost zero. Oh, no. I right, see it as it's either a way to keep snowbirds in New York or a way to trap snowbirds in Florida. Ooh, that's a good one. Let's keep them in New York because the driving is already <laughs> bad enough. <laughs> Hell, the driven I mean, down I mean, golf, it's a nightmare right now. No, and honestly, there have been a lot of people who have just up and moved completely oh, out yeah. of oh, yeah. New York um, because of the coronavirus and because they've been unable to work for so long. 
and the fear that it, it was going to continue to be that way for some time. And the other thing, snowbirds don't dislike other snowbirds. There's this whole last Yankee theory where every New Yorker wants to be the last New Yorker in Florida. And so they don't want to have that influx of New Yorkers in because they like the culture here, even though they like to vote for Pakistan. That's what my problem is. You're coming so to Florida. Totally... Yeah, you're coming to Florida because you don't like New York and their taxes, but you're voting like a New Yorker. And I'm having a huge problem. This should right. be a moratorium of how long you're allowed to vote. I think it's you got to sit out for two cycles. <laughs> There's only one group of New Yorkers that I like coming to Florida, and that's my in-laws. I actually like them. I, I actually love them, you know, unlike, my nice last unlike my last in-laws. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, they can come on down. Wow. This is getting super personal. Yeah. <laughs> this paper right. by Chris Chambers. I, I love my in-laws. She's, she's great. So I'm, I'm, oh, I'm my in-laws awesome. awesome. I but that's like a whole other show. I will in-laws if that, that ever happens. Oh, wow. Well, I don't know. Don't jinx yourself. Chris is off the table. Thank you so much to everybody for watching The Yard Sign. We appreciate you. Don't forget you can catch all of our episodes on our YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe, comment, uh, and share from there. Also, we have the audio version of our podcast available on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. Just search for The Yard Sign. We, again, appreciate you for watching. Uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of international politics here. We haven't done an Evil's Attic in a while, so I don't know. The, today seemed like a good day to bring it back. It's China versus the world. What's going on over there, uh, Anibal? Well, thank you, Jonathan, for bringing back the uh, Nebel's Attic. <laughs> uh, in layman terms, China is pissing everyone off when it comes to global politics. What has been a buildup of three decades of goodwill and throwing money around like he was, if China was a new per newfound money in a Chinese whorehouse, uh, they have now completely decimated any form of goodwill that they have. They're even pissing off the Canadians. You know how difficult it is to piss off a Canadian? Very difficult. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we have Canadian viewers. Yes, we do have Canadian viewers. And we are happy to know that you guys are just as upset with the Chinese as we are. From Australia to India to even uh, parts of the Southeast Asia are starting to get pissed off with China. And I'm happy for this. But uh, what happened last week was probably one of the biggest skirmishes that we've had in the last 45 years that in the Gowan Valley. Um, troops of India and China in a non non violent combatant situation actually killed 20 to 40 uh, individuals on both sides. This is a region of India that's disputed and in that area you're not allowed to hold a weapon in, in so that it doesn't get discharged and no one shoots anyone. Well they've killed almost 70 people on, on both sides. So it's pretty interesting to see how many people were actually killed. About 20 people were killed from the Indian army and about 45 people were killed in the Chinese army, which China has not said that they've done yet. So it's interesting to see what's going to go forward. I feel this is more of a tactic to increase external issues, to increase the um, India's or increase Chinese nationalism, because they know that China is screwed over when it comes to economic and political power that they're moving forward. Do you think like when they had the numbers tabulated as like who killed who how many, they're like, the Indians were like, I want to do you. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's not the joke that I thought you were going to go. They wanted, they wanted to hide a few of them so I could say they won. I will say this. No one should be happy with two billion people fighting a land war in Asia. However, I would assume that products in that region are going to be a lot cheaper going forward. Right. So if you like shopping at Walmart and buying tennis shoes from there, good, good job for you. Or AliExpress. What's AliExpress? Oh my gosh, I'll tell you later. I don't shop. I, I'm not allowed to shop, actually. Walmart sells tennis shoes? 
Yeah, it's a great. Oh, okay. Walmart sells them? Yes. Oh, I use that as a euthanism. I Walmart's got some great clothes. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. So yeah, this week in An Evil's Attic, we see the fallout of China, India potentially going to war. I think India is playing its cards a little bit too much. Moody has done a great job talking its military up. But, I mean, this isn't the first time that China and India has gone to war, and it probably won't be the last. And let's see what happens. All right, well, thank you so much, Anibal. And uh, we'll be seeing a little bit more of Anibal's Attic in the uh, weeks to come. Again, thank you so much for watching The Yard Sign. Uh, we appreciate you. Don't forget, like, share, comment on this feed. Uh, as we get closer to November, we're going to have more candidates on and more experts giving us insights on what's happening uh, with the November elections. All right, uh, uh, an issue that, uh, you know, just doesn't go away. And, uh, you know, fortunately, it seems like with the Supreme Court ruling that took place, uh, it may actually help kind of bring, resurface this issue that needs to be dealt with, and that's the Supreme Court ruling on DACA. Of course, last week they had the ruling on LGBTQ discrimination. Uh, this week, DACA and the Dreamers get a big win in the Supreme Court, uh, and this is frustrating because the president has offered multiple uh, solutions to this, uh, and the Democrats uh, continue to stall. They continue to reject any type of bipartisan solution to immigration reform. Uh, the president, of course, has gone forward you know, with uh, building the wall regardless, but that was one of the stipulations in all of this. Uh, I, I think given what's happening in most of South America, uh, and certainly in Venezuela where this issue originates from, um, I'm, I'm okay with this. I mean, again, they're legally allowed to work, which means that they're also paying taxes. Um, and a lot of these people want to stay in this country and they want to, you know, they want an opportunity at applying for citizenship and residency and that sort of thing. Uh, well, we'll start off uh, over here with Mr. Chambers. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'm happy for him. I, I think DACA is a, is a good thing. Uh, like, like you said, they're, they're paying taxes. They, they want to be a part of this country. Uh, you know, my wife's an immigrant. Did it legally. You know, I'm thankful she's here. So, so I think it's a good thing. I have. I think they have a lot to contribute. I hope it can be an example for some of the people who want to come to this country, not so much the legal way, even though different circumstances are, are, are around that. But I, I think it was a good thing. I, I don't know, Chris. How do you feel about that? So, for what I saw in the decision. Half or four of the justices said that the original DACA order was illegal. They're like, we didn't like the way that you went about going to redact this illegal order. So it's like you're supporting something that's illegal because the the methods by which you went to redact it are not the way we liked. It didn't make sense to me that they would have the position they did. Um, and if that were the case, why would they not like? They're like, all right, we agree it's illegal. Why would they not make an effort to work with? the uh, executive branch to do it in a way that they liked in the first place. So I know it isn't their place to go out of their way to do this, but well, again, I mean, they the, spent so much time doing it. Why not? Yeah, but I mean, again, the, that's where you get into the Supreme Court legislating from the bench, mm -hmm. you know, and so yeah. they, all they got to say is, hey, this isn't wrong. This needs to be fixed. Now you guys go ahead and figure it out. Now, from what I've heard, the president plans on presenting us again, uh, the House with another solution uh, for immigration reform. My expectation is, is that Pelosi's going to kick it out and she's not going to agree to it. And again, this has been the case. And so it's annoying to me knowing people in the Venezuelan community who fall under the, you know, a DACA uh, status uh, because 
they want to think in this situation that Trump's the enemy in here when he has repeatedly, time after time, tried to provide yeah. immigration reform solutions to allow them to stay. And I think that's where we're having the, the, the correlation breakdown. The media is saying, oh, it's Trump that's trying to stop the DACA. Oh, it's Trump that's trying to kick everyone out. No, there needs to be a legally understanding of where these people fall under. And we've been trying, what, for four or five years now to try to get the DACA situation taken care of? And it's not that the Supreme Court rejected what Trump said. The, the Supreme Court said, no, it's the DHS that is responsible for this. And that's who needs to be making this decision when it comes to DACA. And that DACA is not our job to figure this out. It is the legislators' positions to figure this out. And of course, they're not going to make this decision on an election year because Pelosi doesn't want that to happen. But again, it's not that Republicans don't want DACA to happen or want illegal immigration or want, we want legal immigration. We want a path, we want to figure out what's going on so that people can start moving through the system. It took my mom years to get through the system and God, like, praise God, she became a citizen last Thursday, which is amazing. And we did a whole celebration with Waves and everything else. And she has already filed for her registration as a voter and she will be voting as a Republican. So that's what's gonna happen. But, and I did not have to persuade her whatsoever. She's like, what are with these people always walking around the streets? Anyways, moving on. But that needs to happen. There needs to be a path for people to be able to do this legally in our system. And DACA needs to be solved. And that won't get solved by the Democrats at all. It needs to get solved. And I think Trump is going to do something to push it down the pike. But I agree with you, John. I don't but, think Nancy Pelosi is going to do anything. But you, you know why DACA is so important? You have the, the legal immigration. Ooh. But you have a lot of kids who come over here who are sent by their families to the to U.S. And, and they don't know that they're sure. illegal. I, I talked to a, a guy I met a few months back, uh, Jose Antonio Vargas, and you know, he said he didn't figure out, you know, he thought he's from the uh, Philippines. And he just thought illegals, he just always thought, well, they're Mexicans. And it wasn't until he went to go get his driver's license at 16, and they were like, what? And he go back to talk to his grandfather, and his grandfather was like, what are you doing? You're illegal. <laughs> and he was like, oh, Oh crap! So it, it, and you know his parents sent him over here to have a better life, and they don't find out until later on in life that I'm not legal. So that's why I think DACA is so important for for that subset, that specific group, and not to downplay any other group, but for that small group, it's important for them because they well, did, they well, did nothing. But well, we all agree on your point. Yeah, I think originally DACA was just for uh, children who came here because mm -hmm. a parent brought them or sent them over to help them get a better life because. Everyone can admit it. The U.S. has a much better success rate at life. Opportunity. Opportunity. Best in the world. Best. Well, and it, it also. Depends on what you're talking about. And it also, <laughs> and, well, it also stemmed from a lot of the unrest it. that was happening in Venezuela. You know, and, and and again, it was more of a humanitarian effort. You know, to give those people some place to go, um, and for them to have a legal status here until hopefully things turned around in Venezuela, which still is not the case. You know, people want to obviously make Trump the boogeyman because he was trying to end the program. But the reason he was trying to end the program was to force the hand of the legislative body to come up with a solution to put actual immigration reform in place. But these people don't understand that they're being, they're being, they're a pawn right. in this situation. If I was a DACA recipient, 
I, if I was a dreamer, I'd be so upset right now because I'm being used as a as a football going back and forth. Yeah. When this could have easily been resolved in the last administration. It's not like we haven't been talking about this for almost 10 years now. Yeah. And again, this is a lightning rod situation for the Hispanic community. The Democrats and Republicans use it as a folly to go back and forth. So why not just make the decision and, and figure out where these kids go to right now? These kids are working, they're paying taxes, they're starting families, they're starting businesses. And again, Trump is not the one that's trying to end, the, it's not trying to kick them out. Trump was trying to find a solution, and that's what needs to be had. And people are going to argue back and forth of what's going on. I think the DACA situation is something that needs to be taken care of and needs to be resolved. And I do think the Trump administration needs to do a better job at uh, putting the message out there about, hey, let's not make this a black and white situation. It's let's all work together. And that's not, I don't, I'm not seeing that coming a lot. It's just very much divided even on the Republican side of where you do have a lot of Republicans who are very much anti-immigration even and they're just the racist people that we do know are in the party that we have to admit are there. And you have it on the other side. The oh, racist Democrats, they're using oh this God. just to be able to fund their desire to either step the hit back at Trump. And so they don't Democrats don't care about the dreamers and they don't care it's about a what it's, it's, a, a, it's a it's a trading it's, it's a, it is a trading it's, it's psychological money basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's that oh I'm a Democrat, therefore I'm not racist, I'm not this and I had a school a lot of my Democrat friends and be like even my family members would be like, No, you don't know what's up about gay rights, um, immigration, you have very the bubble that you live in is the same bubble. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. Right. If you have never lived a life or you've never interacted with someone with that with that lifestyle, then you have no room to talk and to see how. And again, I'll say this openly white liberals trying to dictate where some of these protests are moving forward or how DACA should be recipiated is disgusting because they have no idea what's going on. They have no family, they have no ties to the community, they have no family members whatsoever, but they feel as white liberals that they have the right to say what they want to say just because they feel entitled to do it because the brown person or black person can't do it on their own. That is so hypocritical and yeah. so racist. One, it's also a privilege that that our minority communities do not have is that because and that's just one thing that the left needs to figure out and how to work it out and say hey y'all still have white privilege and you're still using it to further this yes. well they I use the, they AI. use they use this topic and they use immigration as an issue to motivate those hispanics who are eligible to vote you know because what they want is, is trying to they're trying to get everybody in the same box which again, that's a whole other problem, you know, in politics is that, you know, they, they basically treat all Hispanics as one voting block, and they're not. I'll tell you what, it's not going to work out. <laughs> because no, yeah. we've seen, going to voter registration in some of the parks in Tampa here, we have a lot of Hispanic voters that are registering for us because they know what socialism is, they know what's going to happen, so they're trying to lump people that would vote for us, you know, under normal circumstances with them because of this one issue. And it's, it's pretty horrendous that they use this as a... Basically, it's a way to turn into pawns, and it's yeah, awful. Uh, no, I agree. It's, it's sad. And, and at the end of the day, I, I think uh, they deserve to be here. You know, uh, illegal immigrants contribute about $7 billion a year to Social Security that they don't benefit from as being having that illegal status. So we need to figure out a way and, and stop, you know, taking advantage of them 
for our political, well not our, their political gains mm -hmm. and just figure out a way to fix it and, and have a good path to legalization for them. Because but if they're not benefiting from it, who's benefiting from all that yeah. money they're paying into? If I can put one last word on this topic before you take it away. Um, as far as the law is concerned, as far as the rule of law, is it not terrible precedent to say, come here illegally, we'll figure out and change the law ex post facto after you get here to do what you want? We did this in the 80s. The, in the Reagan administration, we legalized millions of individuals and they just made the problem worse. And that's why I feel it's that an attracting. They, but that's why, and that, I agree with you that it is a problem that side, but a, a, a solution needs to be made that is a long-term solution. Yes. You know that people from around the world are gonna continue trying to get into this country because of the opportunity that this country provides them. And, but you have to figure out a mechanism to allow them to come in legally and be, and that's why the whole border situation, which no one is talking about anymore in Mexico, was that there are ports of entrance that you're allowed to go into, submit your documentation, and come in. No, they wanted free access. And it's more Democrats and liberals and progressives that were trying to push it to where we don't need borders, we don't need it. No, yeah. there needs to be a legitimate way to get people into the country so they're able to work, they're able to pay taxes. Because what happens when you don't have it is that you have the sweatshops and you have the farmers that take advantage of the migrant workers and you have people that are, are in the sex trades and the human trafficking. That all stems because there isn't a way to legally move these people in and out of the country. And so what needs to happen is that some form of mechanism needs to have, have be built the tracking the safest thing that you can do as an immigrant coming to this country is to be tracked and that's and so that you don't get taken advantage of with low wages you don't get taken advantage of with sex trades your children don't take it don't get taken advantage you get all the uh, uh, you get all the rights and benefits of being a resident as a resident of this country you're you're given almost all of the benefits besides voting you don't right. pay taxes on everything else and so that's where the clause might be. Not making them into citizens, but making them into permanent residents. That doing that one thing will stop all of this. And then there's a path, there's a legitimate path as a resident to then become a citizen, which is already established. But until we get off our butts on this one topic, we're never gonna move forward from here. So I don't agree making them citizens. I agree making them all permanent residents and then allowing them to make the decision if they want to become a citizen. Because the majority of individuals that are immigrants are, have no desire to become citizens. They want to work, they want to give back to their families, they want to send money back, and sometimes they go back. I mean, Johnny, we know plenty of people that work in the States, and after 10 or 20 years, they go back home. Right. You know, and, and actually, to kind of close on that topic, you know, uh, again, we can't have comprehensive immigration reform if we don't control our borders. Yes. And that's been the point that President Trump and plenty of others even before him have made. And that was the big mistake during the Reagan administration, is, is that you know he allowed a lot of illegal immigrants uh, to become legal residents and then eventually citizens, um, but they didn't have control over the borders in this country. And so it just exacerbated the problem, as you pointed out. Um, you know, But politically speaking, Democrats don't want those who are here illegally to become citizens because again, they help motivate the Hispanic base of their party. Um, and much like people who are on welfare, that's why Democrats continue to fight for people who are on welfare. Because if they keep them on welfare, they'll continue to be dependent on the government. And those are the people that they need to continue to vote for them in, in elections. You know, people that are afraid of losing those, those benefits. All right, we're gonna end on a slightly lighter topic, um, you know, but certainly not, not a great one. Uh, you know, for those of you who not, are not in the Tampa Bay area, we actually have the longest sidewalk in the country. 
Uh, I believe it's about eight miles long. It is known as Bayshore Boulevard. And uh, one of the uh, repercussions of uh, some of the protesting that's been going on uh, has been the vandalization of uh, businesses and landmarks and public and private property. And again, you know, this is one of the draws of Tampa is, you know, is, is Bayshore Boulevard and, and of course the sidewalk, you know, where people bike and exercise and all that. And it's unfortunate, you know, because it is one of our attractions, you know, here in the city. And to see it vandalized the way that it was, uh, is obviously heartbreaking. Um, you guys kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. Uh, you know, I mean, look, and from my perspective, it could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. You know, we could have seen what happened up in the USF area you know, also transpired kind of in the South Tampa area. And, uh, you know, it was bad enough up there, you know, and that's an area that didn't need something like that to happen. Um, you know, but of course, you know, we continue to see people taking advantage of this movement, you know, to vandalize, to riot, to loot. Um, you know, is, is, is you know, are, are we just, does this need to be kind of put to rest at some point? Or do you continue to kind of let this kind of play out the way it has been? Because it seems to me most city city um, law enforcement and leadership just seems to just kind of be letting everything Taking a play back out. Seat. Yeah. Yeah. What, what happened this weekend was absolutely disgusting. Uh, the, the desecration of the sidewalks from right into the defamatory language towards the police. And you just have a lot of people taking advantage and taking away from the message. And I, and I think you've seen a lot of law enforcement agencies. It's, it's a tough time for law enforcement right now. Nobody, nobody at this table can can uh, disagree with that. But at some point, law enforcement has to put the foot down and say enough is enough. And people have their peaceful their right to peaceful protest. But you got to separate the peaceful protesters from these people who are taking advantage of the situation and throw the book at them. And, and that's what you have to do. I mean, we, we can't have this in our city. We can't have this nowhere in America whatsoever. And, and we just have to take a stand, can't let people tear up the city, and somebody's gonna stand up and say, okay, let's make an example out of them. Right. And I'm not seeing that right now uh, out, out, out of our leadership in the city, our law enforcement. And it's not just here, you're seeing that all across America. Because yep. nobody wants to put their hand on anybody and be the bad guy. And then yep. you have, like in Atlanta, you have you know the mayor calling for the uh, termination of uh, police officers. I, I don't think the, the mayor or any city manager should be doing that. I think the process should play out. I think the, the, the spotlight is on law enforcement right now. Let there be process, but right up there be an incident where the mayor's calling out and saying that sheriff should be fired. And now I think that's a ripple effect that you're seeing all throughout America right now. Uh, and I think these, these, these bad actors are feeling protected. They're feeling they have this, this blanket of protection oh, yeah. where they can go oh, yeah. out and, and tear up the city spray paint vandalized and I think they need to be made an example out of it and say, hey, this is not cool and this is what's gonna happen. Well once you subvert the process one time, that's it, you've broken that chain. Yeah. Now they're gonna want you to subvert the process each time and what they want is street justice, they don't want actual justice. You know, and so again in 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 accusing these police officers, uh, charging them with murder or, or, or really basically having them be fired or resign um, before the process has taken place, I think is also incredibly damaging down the road for other similar cases like that. Correct. You know, you have a breakdown basically of what makes a society what it is. And I think that's what we'll see in the future. I mean, I look at this as almost like a Occupy Wall Street 2.0 or what happened at Evergreen 2.0, that you see that 
it's a leader a leaderless uh, movement. They are they're asking for the demands that they're asking for are so illegitimate that no community is ever going to disband. No neighborhood in America is safer with us disbanding the police department. That is a that is a fact. There's no neighborhood in this country that it would be safer if we go through what they want. And I think words are important. So when people are saying defund the police and defund and break down the structures, when you say that and then you have to then add, well, I don't mean getting rid of the police, I mean to do it, <laughs> then you've lost the argument. Right. You're not, you're not. If you're not, explaining, you're losing. Yeah, if you're explaining, you're losing. So when you say it, and then you have the people in Seattle, Chaz or Chad, what is what's Chaz? Chaz. Ch Chaz. It's Chop now, it's Chop. <laughs> it is Chaz, Chaz, Chaz Chop, but if we don't get a handle on that, a Chaz is going to happen here. Why was this still happening, by the way? Do you think a Chaz would happen? First of all, you, we all know that the Northeast, the Southeast, the Northwest. Northwest, it has been very liberal, very progressive. Correct. This happens all the time. This isn't anything new. They know what to do. They back down. They give it a few, a month or two, and then it, it goes back to normal. That happens there. Do I think something like this could happen in the South? Very unlikely. And again, in every city, every state has their own way of policing. Look, so at, in, look at the example but, they're but setting. York, somebody in the South. But we've had this. But we've had this already. In New York, they had Occupy Wall Street for months on public, on private land, and they allowed it to dissipate. They allowed it to move. And then the moment it got violent, and people were getting raped in there, and people were getting shot in there, then the police moved in. As of last uh, this weekend, I think two people, three people have been shot in the in the yeah. zone in Seattle. And so you have to allow these people to get it. And I, I hate saying this, letting them get it out of their system. Or like, and I and you don't want to do that, but you also don't want the police to go in there and have like a Waco situation. Well, we're we're seeing that now. There was an incident this weekend, uh, a big block party or something. Uh, uh, I think it was an extension or something, where uh, it was a large group of people, oh, hundreds of people. And they reported shots fired, and TPD went. Officers went yeah. in, mm -hmm. yeah. and they got ambushed. And, yeah. and the, the chief, Chief Dugan, said today that was an ambush. So uh, when I say and you said it can't happen here, but you're seeing this type of stuff happen, they're testing. They're, they're testing. testing. Yeah, they're, they're testing. testing. But who, how allow, but who allows limits. them to test? You all, if we, when you're in middle school and you test the, you test your teacher, is because she's giving you enough room to actually be the to test where the line is. And if she doesn't discipline you when you cross that line, you're just going to keep on moving the, the line. Our leadership, our leaders in Hillsborough County have allowed the line to move so far. Oh, and yeah. it, it won't be until there's a, and, and it's sad that something like that has to happen for there to be a snap back. And, but it, it's going to have to happen because they, the, the, the mayors and, the, and even and state uh, county officials have allowed it to go as big as it has. Right. When they could have stopped it when it was at USF, oh, yeah. no, they pulled back the police. Right. Why? Because someone made a decision, and again, this will all come out later on, who made the decision to pull the police back? That person should be blamed for the violence and the crime and the burning of what happened at the USF area. And that has a rippling effect, yes. not just on your city, but. You know, I have a lot of friends that's in law enforcement, good cops, and, and I just hate it for them right now. These guys don't want to go to work. It's just demoralizing. Because they don't feel they, they have support. Correct, correct. Yeah. You and know, what, yeah, God forbid you get put in a situation where you have to defend yourself or defend one of your coworkers, and you are thrown under the bus like that officer in Atlanta. And, that's what, and so that's what's going to happen, that the law has to be followed. And what the judicial system has to be followed. What happened in Atlanta, 
we have tapes and everything else, but I am not in the courtroom. I am not the judge, I'm not the lawyer. It is gonna happen there. And people are gonna get pissed off when it cut when the when the trial is resumed is ended and it doesn't get the verdict that they want because we have to follow the laws that are given to us what needs to happen. Now do I believe in, in, in justice reform? Do I believe in police reform? Do I believe that the police should be getting more and more training and more money should be going to them? Yes, of course. But to say that you can do all of that by defunding the police is stupid. <laughs> and every time someone says we need to defund the police, but let me explain, does it really mean defund the police? Then you're losing the argument. Right. But what needs to happen now in Hillsborough County, and I've done this as an individual, when you see a police officer eating at, for lunch or at dinner and they're in their uniform, pick up their check. When you see them walking by, you wave at them. When you see them doing something, you give them support so they know that they have the support of the community because that's what we do. In the last month or last month since all of this has been happening, I think my wife and I have picked up five or six checks when we're at lunch, and we see a police officer having lunch also. Well, don't we don't ask them, we don't we don't get recognized. We leave yeah. it before they even know anything happens. But that's what you do as a citizen. If you can afford it, you show support for the police officers because there are more police officers doing good than they are doing bad, and we need to support and lift up those that are doing good. Nick, that goes back to my point I said a couple weeks ago. You had all these companies, you know, posting the the black. You know, boxes on their uh, on their profiles or whatever. I said, if you if you really want to show support for your community, let's support some of these police departments that's that's, that's strapped for cash. Yeah. You know, how about some of these public-private partnerships? Uh, go help them out, donate money where they can have body cams. That don't help the police department; it helps the entire community. Oh yeah. So it can be done on an individual level, like you said. And I commend you for that. That's awesome. But these uh, these big corporations, they can do their part as well. If you yeah. really want. Uh, reform, whether it be police reform, social and distance reform, we all can do our part instead of changing our Instagram profile to a black box or slacktivism. Slacktivism. It yeah. really is. Yeah. The, <laughs> it was. I heard from someone that white progressives have figured out the least amount to do to be able to show support, which is just change <laughs> a, a profile on a digital platform. Right. Not there itself. Or to post something. Yeah, because that actions speak louder than words, and you can talk the talk, but if you're not walking that walk. You're not doing anything. You're just saying, I support, but I'm not going to help change it. Of course, going on a ride-along was one of the most eye-opening situations I've ever been to. Because you realize what happens on a day-to-day -day situation with those police officers mm -hmm. that are keeping us safe. If I have a problem in my neighborhood when someone broke up into my house two years ago, it took less than 60 seconds for us to have an officer at our house. And we live in Seminole Heights. And that's what I want in my police. I want to have confidence to know when I call 911, a police officer will be there once I, when it's when it's reported. You don't want a social, you don't want. want a social worker showing up? No, God, <laughs> God, no. And that's another thing. Now you're putting even more people in danger. The 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 way these people are thinking is so outrageous that any any individual any American should be scared that these people will dictate policy when they think a social worker will be perfectly fine and safe in these situations. You never. We, our social workers now are not safe in the situations that they're put in, and that's non-lethal situations. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's 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 been hard enough for our county and city governments to even hire and retain social workers, mm -hmm. and now you're going to put that more on them. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to defunding the police, I actually talked to one of our city councilmen, and and he said, "There's no room to cut." Yeah. He's like, they have a $20, 23000000 million budget. 17 of that is just pensions and salaries. Like, there's no room to cut. And on top of that, they just added the body cameras, you know, in the city of Tampa. What are you going to cut? There's nothing to cut. And so it, it's a pipe dream. Um, and, again, going back to something that, you know, we've touched on before with Chris Chambers, 
is is that the first communities to be adversely affected yes. by these policies are going to be minority and low-income communities uh, because those are the communities that need the police the most. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and then they go out and spray paint, you know, yeah. the sidewalks and stuff like that. Where is that money going to come from to clean that up? Yeah. Tax dollars. Right. Yeah. Whose taxes going to get raised? And going back to that, it's that Bayshore got cleaned up. So it got spray paint Saturday evening. Uh, someone reported it Sunday morning. It was done before the afternoon, the power washing. It was done. But I'm curious to know if there's still graffiti in West and East Tampa that's still there. Yes. And that's the thing about the white neighborhoods or more affluent middle class, upper middle class neighborhoods such as South Tampa is that if they want something done, they're going to get it done. If they wanted more lights on Bayshore, there's more lights on Bayshore. They're having, they want street No, there's lights trips. on road. Yeah. Uh, and it's just that there isn't the same. Um, no, I'm going to switch around. So a lot of South Tampa is very much liberal. And the, I've seen so many people post and be like, I support the protests, but not in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They're NIMBYs. And right. so many, I saw so many people with that graffiti, that was the last straw. Like, they're like, this is not how you do it. But it's just like, you've been supporting this throughout the country elsewhere. Well, and yeah. that's what happened in Seattle. When the mayor of Seattle her, got her house spray painted, mm -hmm. and she called them terrorists. Terrorist. Terrorist. <laughs> and so and that's that's the stupidity of this conversation. Right. You want, it's, it's again, I don't want to... I, want, I don't want to use it as you're allowing a, a, a young child to have a tantrum and you're letting them do that in the middle of publics yeah. and you're just standing there letting them and who looks bad the parent looks bad right. you're an elected official your job is to keep everyone safe and secure do your That's damn job yeah we're paying you to do your job allow the police officers to do their job and be able to make the decision need be are there times when the police need to back out and let, and let it and let it burn itself out sometimes yes when it gets dangerous but i expect the police department to make that decision not a, a bureaucrat not jane caster i'm not saying names well, the, <laughs> the other thing is just let's if you have these two opposing sides just find people and come together and have a conversation without the cameras yes it's that i remember there was a few weeks ago where they had a protest and they said jane go home because they didn't want her to take away her voices because it just becomes some of the white savior complex. I mean, if, if, if uh, Jane Castor adopted anything from Bob Buckhorn, it was her affinity for cameras, you know, because, I mean, there is literally a camera everywhere she goes, and, and everything she does is now a photo op. And she looks weak. It, she looks so weak when that happened, that they asked her to go, and then she left. I don't want my... I don't. I voted. I voted for her, and I don't want her to look weak. My the goal of these elected officials are to make decisions and plans. And now that they're moving money around from C CRAs or CRMs and everything else, again, nothing is ever going to change until you until you break the repetitive of op of opportunity. There is no opportunity. There's very little opportunity in West Tampa, 22nd MLK. There's very little opportunity there for those communities to be able to move up and move out of where they're at. And there's nothing but opportunity in South Tampa and other communities that we have here. And until you break that cycle, this is never going to change. You have to break the cycle and then give opportunity to those that do not have. So as far as breaking the cycle, we kind of got a little bit off the beaten path here as far as uh, protesting and bad things happening. So I've heard us talking quite repeatedly that there are 10 to 1 good civil protesters to every one bad protester. So with that ratio, would you not think that the 10 could stop or point out the ones that are doing bad things, keep these bad things from happening? Would you think that it would be in their best interest to keep the movement legitimate by photographing, reporting, stopping 
themselves these things from happening in that moment. You ever, you ever heard that saying, the, the freaks come out at night? Yeah. <laughs> so I've been to a protest and I've seen firsthand during the daytime, nine times out of 10, the people out there are law-abiding protesters. And as it gets darker, you can see that bad crowd coming in. I was at one a couple weeks ago and I could start, you could hear the chanting shift from, you know, uh, positive chance to F the police. And I'm like, all right, it's time for me to go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think most likely a, a lot of times you have the, those late night people come in to start wreaking havoc and the real protesters have to shift and go about their way. But, yeah, because they're only part of that. Yeah, yeah. But nobody's counting tally like, oh, good protester, bad rider. Yeah. Agitator, nobody's doing that. And yeah. now it's just, it's just, you're just a protester. You can't differentiate from the good crowd yeah. or the bad crowd. And now you got the, the bad actors coming there and then some things start going south. And, and Chamber's correct, because when they did the analysis see who was talking, who was the ones that were agitating those of their protesters, after basically the sun goes down, the individuals that are there are not protesting. Yeah. They're taking advantage, they are they are incendiating the situation and they want to cause a problem. They're not protesters, they're not trying to solve a problem, they're trying to become they're trying to cause a problem, they're not trying to fix a problem. And so that's where the change happens when it comes to when it comes to protesters and when it comes to writers. And again, that's why we have the police that are there to be there to catch these people in the act and to stop them when they do bad. But there have been videos of people saying, hey, don't do that, you're gonna get yeah. um, everyone else in trouble. And there's been videos where they're like grabbing these bad actors and mm -hmm. handing them to the police. Yeah. Yeah. Like obviously when I was at a protest, when it starts getting later on in the evening, I saw pro well, not protesters, I saw people yeah. wearing gas masks. I never thought that I need to go protest, I need to wear a gas mask. I mean, I know COVID is serious, but damn. <laughs> so I could, I, could, I could like, that's not a protest, that's an agitator. And they're, they're take, like I said, they're taking away from the message. Yeah, more conversations about <clears throat> communities to give out more opportunity. Money should not be going to big corporations. They need to be funneled into these schools and into these after-school programs and into building opportunities. That's the only way this ever changes. Defunding the police will only harm those communities that need them the most. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you everybody for watching the yard sign. We, of course, had a healthy list of topics today, but it was uh, pretty awesome to be back in front of everybody. Hopefully we can keep this going, um, you know, but uh, we are gonna be watching these uh, COVID cases uh, and, and hopefully they've, uh, I guess, have flattened a little bit over the past couple days or so. Um, so we'll hopefully see a decline here soon. Um, but again, as always, we appreciate you watching the yard sign. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and for the audio version of our podcast, again, on all the major platforms. So YouTube, uh, you can also find the audio version on Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcast platforms. Uh, I'm Johnny Torres. On behalf of Chris Chambers, Christopher Kylan, Anibal Cabrera, Parker, we appreciate you for watching the yard sign. We'll see you back here next week. What are you goofballs doing over there? So what? Uh, they, <laughs> so the EPG just voted that face masks are mandatory in Hillsborough County. We will see how long it takes for them to bring that back. I'm going to say a few hundred thousand emails into their boxes. We'll change that. But we are now practicing social distancing in Hillsborough County when it comes to the vote. And God help us all when this moving forward. Hey, I need my power. This is dangerous now. On that note, yes, we got to get out of here. So long, everybody. Thank you for watching.